Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Annie Corrigan from Earth Eats. And it's very appropriate to have Annie here today because today's show uh, we're calling Cook Cook Your Garden. Pretty excited about it. Glad to be here, Bob. Yeah, glad to have you. And we have three great guests with us today. Marsha Veldman is here from the Bloomington Farmer's Market. Stephanie Solomon from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. And Lori Heber from Terra Foods. If you want to join us on the program, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can uh, also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and at Earth Eats, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> at Earth Eats on Twitter. You know, Bob, you get three or four foodies in the room together, the conversation very quickly goes straight to food. Wouldn't you ladies agree? I mean, we, we sat down and we started Certainly. talking about freezing foods, fermenting foods, how we cook certain foods. It's been great so far. Well, and nobody's even heard it except me. (laughs) But I guarantee you it's going to be a great show. It's actually a great follow-up to uh, the shows we do on gardening when we have Helen May come in and Don Adamson, and there are always tons and tons of questions about how to make your garden grow, and now we're going to say what to do with it. So uh, we're very excited about that. So, Marsha, what's the year been like for uh, growers? It's been a really good growing season. Yeah, it, um, it's been remarkable. Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to last year, the contrast is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, fruit trees are packed. Um, the only thing right now is the cool temperatures are kind of holding back the ripening of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, they just like a little more heat to, uh, to get that good summer ripeness. Yeah, well, Indiana tomatoes, are, you just can't beat them. Sweet corn and tomatoes. I mean, you could just stop right there as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but we're glad that you don't. Or anybody so what, what are, the, uh, what are the, the big hits? Stephanie, what, what, what do you look forward to this time of year? Oh, personally, um, I'm a big fan, of course, of the tomato. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love canning tomatoes, and having canned tomatoes around for the season, I feel like, improves my food options immensely. Mm -hmm. Um, I also love green beans, Um, and I've been excited about, at the farmer's market, finding multicolored green beans um, and... Uh, just all how you can pickle them and just steam them with garlic and lemon juice. Um, they're one of my seasonal favorites. Mm-hmm. That was uh, on the menu at our house a couple of days ago. They were great. And uh, so also uh, we have Laura Heber from Terre Haute here with us, Terra Foods. So what, are there any differences in growing from Terre Haute to Bloomington? We're not that far away. Well, gee, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm, I'm aware of. I think that uh, you might be just a, maybe a, a degree warmer here than, than we are as we as we go a little further a little further north, but I think the I think the growing conditions are very much the same. I've been up to my elbows literally this week in tomatoes and tomato juice, and and have been making a lot of marinara. Um, that's my favorite thing to make and with tomatoes. Uh, Tide me through the winter and have have a great have a great go to thing in the in the pantry, and then uh, lots of zucchini. Um, we've yes. been uh, we've been blessed with uh, amazing zucchini. So it's it's funny about zucchini um, when when you're overrun with it, you're overrun with it, and you're trying to find ways to to deal with it and to give it away and to and to and to preserve it. Um, but then when it's gone, you immediately want some more. So <laughs> it's a challenge. I've been uh, freezing, blanching, and freezing. Um, zucchini in uh, all different forms and manners so that it's ready to go for soups and stews come winter. And uh, that's well, we my hope, favorite uh, We hope do. Sarah Whitmire is taking notes. <laughs> that's right. I guess legend has it that the, the reason this show is even happening is because our news director, Sarah Whitmire, has more zucchini coming out of her garden. And they're huge, apparently, just gigantic. <laughs> this big, just like they do when you catch a fish. They're huge. And she doesn't know what to do with them. So... 
Let's talk a little bit about zucchini specifically. I've got a chocolate zucchini cake recipe here that I know I swear by. I'm making this Mm -hmm. all the time because I have so many zucchinis. Freezing zucchinis. You can also pickle them if you don't have cucumbers. You can pickle zucchinis. Mm -hmm. Other suggestions you guys have? Well, what's big in the food pantry right now, um, our nutrition educator, Kate Young, um, really loves zucchini fritters. Um, so on the days that we've gotten a lot of zucchini and summer squash coming through um, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, the food pantry, um, we've been making fritters in our new kitchen. Um, we have a kitchen at our new facility. Um, and then having folks taste them in the pantry. And I personally love it because it makes the whole building smell Fantastic. Um, and it's pretty simple. She does a simple pan fry. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're great and tasty. So what else would she put in it? Do you know? I mean, yeah, I think she does an egg and flour batter um, and a few spices. There would be an opportunity to use whatever herbs that you have um, in your, in your uh, garden growing mm-hmm. right now. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the things I like about it, and we try to do this at Mother Hubbard's, is the simplicity of it. We try to do recipes that require few ingredients. Um, so if folks don't have many ingredients at home um, besides what they're getting from the pantry, it's still possible to go home and try that recipe. Well, before we uh, get too far along, I want to uh, tell our listeners again, we hope that you'll call us with your recipes, your ideas for how to um, how to cook your garden. And also we have uh, three uh, experts, I'll call you experts in here with us today, <laughs> who, uh, for Camiani, uh, who may help you if you have a, a question about uh, anything that you're growing and how, how you might want to sort of spice it up a little bit. We had uh, on this radio station yesterday on Fresh Air, there was a discussion about a lot of some similar kinds of things. And we were talking before the program about, you know, I, I've, I personally have never heard uh, a good tofu recipe. I'm sorry to tell you, but <laughs> but I know that you've all heard a lot of them. But uh, the idea of cooking a firm tofu on a grill with um, soy and spi- a variety of different uh, herbs on it actually sounded really good to me. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm looking at this website post right now. The beautiful thing about you know having something in your fridge and not knowing what to do with it, Google it. The, the internet is an amazing place. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking on the website, grilled peaches, grilled tofu. I know this season I've grilled Swiss chard leaves just with olive oil and salt and pepper. What are some other weird, interesting, unusual things we could plop on the grill? I don't know that this is too unusual, but I absolutely love grilled onions. They just taste fantastic on the grill, especially a sweet onion on mm-hmm. the grill. Just as Yummy as can be. Well, we do. On, there was an Earth Eats recipe with Chef Daniel Orr. Wrapped it in foil and stuck it right in the coals if you're someone who builds a fire and, and cooks over an open fire. So that's an option, too. You just let it sit, and it becomes so sweet. Is, is anybody else cooking over a grill or an open fire this summer? Yeah, one of the things that I really like to do, and this is great kind of a kitchen sink or, or actually a, anything out of the fridge kind of recipe, is I'll have, you know, I'll have a little bit of, of green pepper here and a little bit of onion here and a little bit of eggplant and a little bit of, of zucchini, maybe some mushrooms. And I'll cut them up into bite-sized pieces, put them in a bowl with some olive oil, salt and pepper, a little um, lemon zest, mm-hmm. and um, some fresh oregano, and then put them into a grill pan. Um, and saute them up um, almost like you would in a wok. And the nice thing about that mixture is that you can either serve it alongside a pasta or a rice dish, but then it also, whatever leftovers you might have the next day, go on a pizza really well, and, and they just serve in a wide variety of things. So you can get one cooking on the grill with a, with a wide variety of things that have come out of your refrigerator and then extend them through the week and use them in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. That, that is mm-hmm. one way you can use zucchini, too. Yeah. Uh, just put a little olive oil uh, on either side of it, put it on the grill for a little bit, cook it up. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. You can, and, you know, this is basically what the show is going to be about, is just geeking out about food and recipes. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, I mean, Mary, let's get Mary some. Mary Catherine will be really sorry she misses. Well, hopefully, maybe she'll call in. Maybe, yeah. We want to hear from you. That's the thing, is we need to hear from the folks out there. If you've got a great recipe that you want to share with people, give us a call. 812-855-0811. We'll put you on the show and get talking about some food. So we're uh, we're putting stuff on top of the grill, maybe inside the grill. Let's talk a little bit about freezing. Marsha, you and I were talking about this before the show started. Can you freeze anything? You can freeze a lot, that's for sure. Yeah, I... 
I have a chest freezer, and I find it's just the easiest way to uh, to to put up produce. Um, I used to always blanch tomatoes and skin them before sticking them in the freezer, and now I just wash and core them and leave the skin on. I do have a vacuum packer, which really helps to um, hold the moisture in and prevent some freezer burn. But, um, yeah, I'll put up 50 gallons of tomatoes in the freezer and freeze lots of fruits, berries, um, I make pesto and freeze it, so I'll have, you know, enough to last me through the winter. I usually leave the cheese out and add that later. It just seems to taste better later on. I'm trying to think, what else? I, and uh, I know someone was asking about what to do with basil, and I, I freeze basil, too, in ice cube trays. So it'll just be... Um, I put the basil in a food processor with some water, and then put them in. I put it in ice cube trays. Add a little more water so it's topped off, and then you have cubes that you can pop into soups and um, sauces and that sort of thing. And it's a real nice, easy way to uh, to hang on to the basil, that summer flavor in the winter time. That's brilliant! Wow, I love that idea. You know, I, I pulled up a, a website article, too, on smartlivingnetwork.com, and it shows, you know, you've got a bunch of basil. Sure, we all know that we can make pesto, but you can also do strawberry basil salad with some feta cheese. You've mm. got mint. You can do it maybe as a topping for a cake, but then you can also make a mint gazpacho with cucumbers. So, you know, uh, maybe people can reimagine these old-fashioned recipes. Gazpacho doesn't have to be red with tomatoes. You could use it with cucumber and mint. Get creative. Sure. Peaches. Peaches? Yeah. Mm. Peach tomato gazpacho is really oh, that nice. Great. I tried a lemonade recipe the other day, um, which was muddled blueberries and basil um, that was strained then and mixed with a little bit of sugar and, and a little bit of lemon juice. It was delicious. Okay. There may not be uh, a total audience of foodies out there. Uh, muddled. Um, basically, you take a, a mortar, mortar and pestle, mm-hmm. and um, you put your blueberries and your and your basil in the in the um, mortar, and you and you just um, uh, scrunch it up and and smash it down and and muddle it all together. Just muddle sounds just pretty much like it is. You just muddle it around, mm-hmm. and then uh, you pass it through a sieve um, so that you're you're you've have all the solids that remain. You don't want the solids in your lemonade. Right. So um, then mix it with uh, the wa- a little bit of water, a little, little bit of lemon juice, and a little sugar. And it really was good. Very refreshing. All right. We're talking about the uh, the end product from the gardening show earlier this summer. So uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, Annie gave the local number, 855-0811. If you're from Terre Haute or any place outside of Bloomington, you can call toll-free, 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can put your recipe up there or ask any questions that you want to ask or give us any tips that you want to give us. Stephanie, I want to ask you, uh, you know, you mentioned tomatoes. Uh, you know, when I go to the market, Marsha, um, I'm always sort of astounded by the variety of tomatoes that are there. I mean, you get beautiful red tomatoes, yellow tomatoes, purple tomatoes, green tomatoes. I mean, you get all sorts of varieties. Can you talk a little bit, Stephanie, about the different varieties and what you might use some for versus some, you know, some other usage? Oh, sure. Well, my favorite tomato variety is green zebras. Um, there's just something about, like, the sweetness and the um, the acid level that is perfect for me. Um, but I have to say my, my favorite thing about growing a diversity of tomatoes is that if you make a salsa or you can even just whole tomatoes and you have a lot of different varieties, there's just something about that flavor that you can't find in a grocery store canned tomato. Um, so I'm also a big fan of the brandy wine. Um, I just incredible flavor. I mean, I grew up as a kid in the suburbs of Cleveland not liking tomatoes and thinking that they were gross. And then when I came here to Bloomington and started growing food and started trying all these cherry tomatoes and grape tomatoes and heirloom tomatoes, I was amazed by um, the, the flavors that were, that were there for us to experience. Mm-hmm. 
All right. I'm Kurt, oh, please sorry. go right ahead. Go ahead. Um, anyone interested in trying out a lot of different varieties of tomatoes? Tomorrow is the heirloom tomato tasting at the farmers market. Oh. It'll start mm-hmm. from nine to eleven thirty, and we'll have close to thirty varieties of tomatoes chopped up and ready for the tasting. And if anyone likes to chop tomatoes, <laughs> please get in touch. We could use a few more people. Can you define heirloom tomato? You know, there is there's some question. Generally, it's considered seeds that have been passed on from generation to generation. But Stephanie mentioned the green zebra, and it's actually a more recent, they call it a modern heirloom uh, because it's been more recently developed. But yeah, traditionally, it's the passing on of the seeds and the ability of the plant um, when you use the seed to be true from year to year. If people are thinking, you know, gosh, I didn't plant any of these in my garden this year, but next spring, I got to get on that. At what time are we planting tomatoes? I can answer that. Um, uh, Right around Mother's Day. And surprisingly, this year it was kind of chilly. Um, uh, and the thing that gets confusing is that the tomatoes start being sold sometimes early in April, and then people think, oh, this beautiful tomato, I'll put it in the ground. Um, but really, tomatoes like a warm soil. Um, and so I use I use Mother's Day as a rule of thumb and think of that as kind of the ideal weekend to plant my tomatoes. Yeah, the average last frost um, in this part of the world is May 15th, which generally mm-hmm. coincides, coincides nicely with Mother's Day. Um, but they, you're right, they do not like to be cold. They like mm-hmm. warm soil. Um, same with peppers, same with eggplants. They're definitely warm season plants that, that want it warm. And you can start them as seed um, early on, February, uh, uh, March or so. Um, that's, and that's one of the reasons that you get those beautiful plants that, that I, I've seen them in bloom and bearing fruit in the greenhouse in April. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to resist the temptation to put them in the ground. All right. We're getting a lot of phone calls now. People are getting hungry out there, I guess. Um, we're going to go to Kathy first. Kathy? Hi. Hi. Go Hi. ahead. I had a comment about basil. I made a wonderful white peach sangria that came from Epicurious. So you could Google that on Epicurious. And it had basil in with the uh, simple syrup. It was wonderful. It would be so great to do with um iced tea as well. So just wanted to throw that out as um, basil and basil and wine together. Sounds pretty good. A little early in the day maybe, but sounds good. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot, Bye. Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. Yeah, I'm Thanks. looking this up on the Epicurious website right now. It's going to take me a minute to okay, find it. Okay, so we'll go to another phone call. Absolutely, then. yeah. Okay, let's go to Kat, uh, Janice next. Janice. Hey. Hi. Hey, Marcia and Stephanie <gasps> and Annie. Hi, Hi Janice. Janice. So I am uh, in my kitchen putting tomatoes through a food meal, and I wanted to say several things. One is um, that if people don't have a lot of their own tomatoes that they want to can and stuff, one of the farmers that I buy from regularly at the market just said to me the other day, I got a lot of extra tomatoes. Would you be interested in having them at a deep discount? So I'd say, check with your farmers, because he said, I've got so many ripening right now, I can't handle them all. Um, Another thing I wanted to comment on is one of our favorite summer recipes, which is a panzanella. And the recipe we got is from Muddy Fork Farms. And a panzanella is a bread salad. So it's basically what proportion you like of uh, sweet onion, tomatoes, cucumbers, black olives, uh, basil, oil, and vinegar, and then toasted chunked bread. Um, We really like uh, a hearty bread, whole wheat kind in ours. And we also add avocado to ours because it's so nutritious. The last thing I wanted to suggest is another one with basil. And my son, Andrew Bazelli, came up with this, and that is a strawberry ice cream when you take the milk and infuse it with basil and mint before you put in your strawberries and make ice cream. Mm, that and sounds good. Whoa. It's really good because you don't really taste the mint and the basil, but it kind of makes the strawberry flavor more complex and deeper. So it's a really good. All right. Yeah. Great ideas. Anybody want to comment on any of them? Sounds delicious. Yep. <laughs> I also want to know who the farmer is so I can get extra tomatoes, too. Yeah, right? <laughs> John Nevada. <laughs> mm. 
All right. So there'll be kind of passed on. I don't know if, how much he's got now, but he was great. So. <laughs> there are quite a few farmers who will have big boxes of tomatoes and sell them at pretty good discounts. You know, the canning tomatoes. So it's a really good way to um, to save some money. Mm-hmm. All right, Janice. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you, guys. Join the show. We really appreciate it. Okay, eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of Bloomington. Also, wfiu dot org slash noon edition. We're talking a lot about recipes and how to use foods that we're getting from our garden. We're sort of ignoring the fact that this takes uh, confidence in the kitchen, the ability to cook, and feel as though I. I have confidence that I can turn the zucchini into something that my family's going to enjoy. If people want to learn the basics of cooking, some basic recipes, what are the resources we have in this area? Maybe, Stephanie, we can start with you. Yeah. Well, I was excited um, when we started talking about freezing. Um, we love food preservation over at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, especially since a lot of our donations come through the Plantero for the Hungry program. So we might end up with bushels of tomatoes that need to be used right away. Um, and so we do a lot of nutrition um, and gardening classes um, just to give folks the tools they need um, to use the food that comes through and to grow their own food. So one that we have coming up is dehydration and freezing, and that's actually next Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 at our um, facility at 1100 West Allen Street. Um, And we do um, prioritize our food pantry patrons and volunteers, but we also generally have some space for community members. Um, And so we do a lot of classes just focusing on um, whatever kind of basic cooking and food preservation skills people are most interested in. And, you know, sometimes I just talk to the farmers at the farmer's market when I'm picking up some food. And, Marcia, you're nodding your head. They give me some of the best suggestions for what to do with their food. That's one of my favorite things being at market is having conversations about recipes. I'll, uh, you know, someone will be picking something up. I'm like, what do you do with that? And then the recipes flow. And so it's a, it is a great way. The farmers and other customers are great resources we um we also we do some um cooking demonstrations at the market um we have coming up Stephanie's mm-hmm. going to be at market with mm-hmm. um with a friend doing a lacto fermentation demonstration in the end of august um and you know I guess I was thinking. Yeah, there is, like with canning, I think people are pretty intimidated by canning. But um, if you're using high-acid food, it um, the risk is pretty low. And we do have these little pamphlets available at the market, the three-step guide to canning. So that's a resource that's easily available. You know, another recommendation for those who, who may not have a lot of confidence in the kitchen is YouTube. There, you know, you can you can um, Google YouTube or, or or search YouTube for all kinds of of methods to prepare food, and and you'll come up with thousands of of short videos that show you how to how to prepare things. It's a wonderful tool. Well, I learned to can from Sue Berg, who was with the Purdue Cooperative Extension Office for a very long time, and before she retired, we made a video together um, so that I would never forget everything that I learned from her, and it is on. YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and so look right. for um, Sue Berg uh, canning tomatoes. I'm uh, looking it up right now. Excellent. Right. Here we go. We're talking about uh, foods cooking from your garden. I have to say that, uh, you know, I'm going to try a lot of new things, but there's nothing better in my mind than just getting a good Hoosier tomato, a good ear of sweet corn. You can boil water. You can make the sweet corn. You can slice the tomato, maybe add a little cottage cheese, some pepper, you can have a great meal just like that. And, you know, you can't do that out of the grocery store necessarily. But with all the fresh stuff in the, this time of year, you can do it. So, all right, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back with a lot of uh, better advice than that from, from our panel of guests. <laughs> You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about uh, what you can do with all that great food coming out of your garden. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, 
information at smithville.net and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at WFIU.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we're back on the oh, air. Yeah. Welcome back to Noon Edition. <laughs> Annie's a professional, too. Welcome back to <laughs> Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Annie Corrigan from Earth Eats. Today we're talking about uh, eating out of your garden, eating fresh foods. We have three great guests with us in the studio. Marsha Veldman from Bloomington Farmer's Market, Stephanie Solomon from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, and Lori Heber from Terra Foods. If you want to join the program, call us with your recipes, your questions, your ideas. Call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We were talking about canning. I want to keep talking about canning. I think we need to encourage people to try it because, you know, this, people have been canning for generations, generations and generations. There's, you need to be careful and you need to clean your stuff and be sure that you're doing it right. But you can get so much out of it. So, Marsha, you were talking about if you're canning high acidic foods, there's very little risk. Tomatoes, obviously. What are some examples of surefire bets for canning foods? Tomatoes are a real good one. Um, jams and jellies are easy to can. And um, most fruits are pretty high acidic. Um, your berries are and uh, peaches Peaches are a good one, even not as a jam. Just canning peaches, they taste wonderful. Can they're good frozen as well? Okay, frozen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there are um, things where you add vinegar, where you're pickling. I like doing pickled jalapenos. I just really like those a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, once you're adding that vinegar, it will bring up the acidity so that it. Um, creates a pretty inhospitable environment to any bacterial growth. If we can just do like a quick how-to, what are the the basic steps of canning? Can anybody talk to that? I, I can do that. Um, so I... I love to can. It's a great community thing. Um, I, these steps may sound intensive, but they're lots of fun. Um, so you want to start by sterilizing, um, which means you boil your jars or boil the instruments you're using. You can also, Sue always said, run them through the dishwasher. Um, and then I'll just say with tomatoes and peaches, which I think I'm a, I'm a lazy cook, I'll be honest. So um, how I like to do it is I'll... Um, I don't remember what it's called, but you lightly boil the tomatoes and the peaches to the point where the skin is almost falling off. Um, And then you dunk them in cold water and then you can take the skin off if you want or not. And then once you have your um, your jars uh, ready and clean, sterilized, um, you push your peaches or your tomatoes into the jar, leave a little bit of head space. Use a plastic knife to make sure there's no air pockets. Um, Wipe the lid um, to make sure there's no debris for when you can. Make sure you use a new um, uh, lid uh, and then have uh, your – what are those called? The little – jar things. (laughs) But anyways, so and then you put them in um, to your canner. And the cool thing about hot water baths is that you don't even need an actual canner. If you have a stock pot and then you put an upside down plate in the bottom to make sure that the jars don't touch the bottom, um, then you're set to go. And then you put the tops on and then um, you boil them. Do you know the time off the top of your head? It depends on the recipe. And that is one thing is following a, a recipe is a really good idea because I, I, I love canning salsa 
And I love garlic and onions, but if you get really carried away with garlic and onions, you can then throw off the pH. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so what can... we tell people is you. the one way to be sure not to be nervous about canning um, is to keep a clean kitchen, sterilize the materials beforehand, and use a recipe. If you're doing all of those things, you have very little reason to worry. I have a question because I canned a couple of weeks ago, so I'm, I'm going to add a question It was just green beans. I had a CSA, more green beans that I could eat in a stir fry, and so I canned them. They've been sitting on my shelf for about a week and a half, and I'm just staring at them, and I want to try them. But I don't don't know when. Stephanie, you're giving me a look. (laughs) Did you pressure can them? No. Because green beans are low acid. So unless you put vinegar in... Um, you did put vinegar in. I did, yeah. Okay, just checking. Yeah. So I just I want to know when I can start snacking on these things. Whenever you like. But Anytime. Yeah. While there's okay. fresh ones, you might want to hold off. Keep them for winter. That's great advice. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to go to the phones. Uh, Christine is on the line. Christine? Uh, good afternoon. Um, I thoroughly enjoy cooking and eating Thai food, and I've been growing my own Thai basil for a couple of years now, and for the first time I tried lemongrass, which is actually looking outstanding. However, my question is, how do I harvest the lemongrass? Oh, anybody? Well... Do you know? Well, yes. I, I had a lemongrass plant. I, basically, you just cut the stalk at the very base of the of the plant, um, and then you'll um, the the most tender part of the lemongrass is in, is actually the pith inside, and so you'll peel away the tough outer uh, outer edges of that. And it generally um, generally for any recipe, you'll need a, a couple of inches, uh, and from the bottom, the closer to the bottom, the the thicker it gets. So basically, just take a sharp knife and just kind of slice down below the, like the bulb type at the bottom. I've I've cut it just at the soil level. Ah, okay. Well, thank you very much, and I'm enjoying the program. All right. Well, what are you going to make with it? Oh, I make uh, soup. Basically, I use the um, lemongrass in a soup. Mm. A shrimp soup with kefir lime leaves, galangal, lemongrass, uh, shallot, green onion, Chili, Thai bird, chili peppers. It's we'll be over a little later. <laughs> right? I'll let you know what time. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Christine. Okay. All right. Again, our phone number is in Bloomington, 855-0811. Outside of Bloomington, 877-285-9348. And WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We were talking about tomato tasting happening at the farmer's market tomorrow. And several more weeks down the road in mid or late August, there's a salsa tasting event. That's one of my favorite events. Marsha, can you talk a little bit about what happens? Sure. We'll make sure you have the right date since you are one of our judges. Yeah, make sure I'm going to be there. <laughs> but it's uh, it's on August 24th, and uh, this is something that we do with Blooming Foods, and it's the 25th anniversary of the salsa contest this year. But we have uh, three categories for salsas. It's raw tomato-based, cooked tomato-based, and specialty. So you get the the peach salsas and the mango salsas and things like that. And um, that day we'll have a panel of judges um, judging the, the various submissions that people in the community have turned in and, um, and also Everyone has the opportunity to taste them. And we uh, typically then the, the recipes for the top three in each category will be in the Blooming Foods newsletter and up on their website. But uh, it's really it's a fun chance to get to taste a lot of different styles of salsa. Now, you know, how many different uh, salsas do you have entered? We usually get somewhere around 50 salsas, so there's we'll do up to 20 in each category because we don't want to, like, 20 salsas for the judges. That takes a, a fine palate. So, um, so, yeah, we'll do up to 20 in each category. And then while um, the tasting's going on and the judging is going on, we've got um, Rags from Nixing, Nick's English Hut. He uh, he always does a salsa making demo, and he he does a great job. He'll be just like, I just saw this in the market. I grabbed it. I'm adding it to the salsa, and he really uh, um, does an inspiring demonstration. And this year, 
I believe we're going to have the debut of a chili roaster. Blooming Foods bought a chili roaster that they're planning on having at market regularly, which is I've seen them at markets in New Mexico, and it just smells so darn good. And going home with roasted chilies ready to to add to many good recipes is really fun. So, Well, if you've got a, a salsa recipe out there that you want to share with us, call us, 812-855-0811. You can recite it to us over the phone, or you could join the live chat on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Okay, we're talking salsa. So I want you guys to think of what you like in a salsa. What are the, the musts for a salsa that you enjoy? One quick comment about the, the salsa contest before we get away from that. The thing that always strikes me is that the people who enter, just community members, just people like Bob, like you and me, who just think, I love this particular salsa recipe. I'm just going to make it and I'm going to enter and we'll see what happens. You know, these aren't chefs. These aren't people who have gone to school for cooking. So this is maybe a great opportunity for people who want to take their home cooking to the next level. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's really good for that. And and it's just fun. You, you know, all the people who enter come out and... Um, and we have salsa dance demonstrations just to mix it up. But, yeah, it is a real good opportunity for someone who's just enjoyed making salsa to, you know, get to put it out there and uh, see how it compares to others. Okay, so, Lori, yeah, what's your favorite salsa? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to salsa making, you really have to think along the, you know, heat, sweet, sour, and savory, you know, to really – you know, if you have elements of each of those things, it's hard to go wrong. And then you think about texture. You know, you want something that's soft and then you want something that's crunchy. And so you want to think about the texture of your salsa, too. But I'm, I'm partial to, a, you know, a black bean mango salsa with some with some jalapeno and onions and garlic. I mean, that that really speaks to me. A little squeeze of lemon or lime juice in that. It's yeah, it sounds really good. It goes along really well with fish and shrimp and fish tacos and things like that. Stephanie, what do you got? I have to say peach salsa is my favorite. Um, Peaches and then those ripening heirloom tomatoes. Um, A lot of garlic. I'm a garlic fan. Um, And I've I've grown into more of a tolerance for heat. So maybe some hot peppers in there. But I, you know, I'm moderate Mm -hmm. in those. But yeah, that peach and tomato, I just, I love the sweetness. Mm A little cilantro. Yeah, are you a cilantro fan? Little, yeah. You know, that's one of those herbs that it's people love it or they I hate it. Well, I, I like a little. I don't want it. Oh, you so you're in the middle. Yeah, I'm in the middle. Okay, I'm in the middle too. Yeah. Really, really. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I want to talk about sweet corn because it's you know a staple of Indiana, and I know there are various places at the farmers market. There's always a long line uh, for corn. But what do you what do you guys recommend? What would you look for in an ear of sweet corn if you're gonna go somewhere to buy one. People are always peeling back the, you know, the outside. What do you look for? Well, you don't want the kernels to be too large. You want them just right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, check. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just where they're not really bulging out. Um, And, you know, Fresh harvested makes a big difference. It's less so now that there are more hybrid varieties that hold the sweetness. It used to be like if you didn't, you know, get it in the pot in 15 minutes, it was, you know, heading downhill on sweetness. But now, um, but still getting it really fresh makes a big difference. Still recommend eating it the same day. Like be better to just have it the same day or maybe a couple of days. Yeah, it's good for a couple of days. Yeah. Okay. And what time do we need to get to the market so we're not standing in line for 30 minutes to get corn? You have to get there right at the bell? Yeah. Yeah, the line starts forming sometimes even before 8 o'clock. But, um, you know, and that's uh, the infamous sweet corn line is with the McCullough sweet corn, and they do grow some fantastic sweet corn. But there are other farmers in the market who grow some great sweet corns. And you can freeze corn? Yes. Right? Can we talk about that process? Yes. It's um, actually I did that this week. I was. Uh, it's prime time, by the way, for sweet corn. Um, it's it's coming in. Um, we've got a lot. I know in the Terre Haute market. Um, and uh, you know, basically, what I, what I do is is just shuck it, wash it, cut it off the cob. 
and and put it into bags. Now I use mine quickly. If if some would say to blanch it, if if you want to keep it longer than two months. Um, but I don't take that step with my sweet corn. I, I merely pack it into bags and, and use it, try to use it as quickly as I can. Again, it's great stuff if you just eat it right off the cob. But yes. how about some recipes or other uses that, that we might not think about? Salsa. <laughs> <laughs> I love putting corn into salsa. I like a like a corn hash where you you know take yeah. it off the cob and then just – I use I use olive oil, but yeah, but onions and garlic and bell peppers, red bells in particular are good in there, and just uh, yeah, fry it up, and it's just that's just a really tasty side dish. You can throw some black beans in there too. So it seems like you're just sort of listing off ingredients off the top of your head when you're going to make this in your kitchen. Is it really just a feel for you? Are you following a letter by the letter a recipe? I typically more, yeah, go by the feel, see what I have. You know, if I happen to have edamame, it's like, oh, that would be good in there, too. And, um, yeah, and I tend to kind of go with, like, base recipes. Like I like frittatas a lot. It's just a nice, easy thing, and you can kind of go, huh, I just found a ton of chanterelles. I think I'll, you know, saute them up and put them in the frittata. And so, yeah, you know, or pizzas are good like that or just pastas where you're just really looking at what you have around and kind of mixing them together. Mm-hmm. All right. If you're home uh, cooking up your lunch, you want to call us and tell us what you're having, <laughs> please give us a call. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. A couple other uh, standards that we haven't mentioned much. We did talk a little bit about green beans earlier. Um, Fruits, peaches, um, berries. What kind of berries are in in season right now? Are they? All of them? Raspberries Raspberries. and blackberries. Yeah, Uh there might still be some blueberries at market, but we're starting to tail off on on blueberry season. But Mm -hmm. raspberries and blackberries are pretty plentiful right now. Okay. Yeah, and then apples are coming on. Um, Yeah, it might still seem early for apples, but some of the early season varieties like Red Free and Pristine and Lodi apples, I think, are pretty much all done by now. Oh, don't start talking about the fall just yet, please. No. <laughs> Not yet. Well, yeah. if you want fall crops, now's the time to be thinking about it. Let's, well, let's talk about that. Uh, if people want a fall garden, do we need to get that stuff in the ground right now? Depends what you're growing. Um, but a lot of those long season crops, um, like if you want collard greens or kale um, or broccoli, um, things like that, cabbage, um, you want to get them in the ground, which generally is really hard because this tends to be a dry, hot time. But this is, I think, going to be a great year for fall crops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked at the 10-day forecast, and it's kind of like this with some rain here and there. I typically um, wait until the second week of August for planting things like lettuce and arugula and carrots and radishes and turnips and um, I went ahead and planted some of those things already. Just, you know, the ground's moist. The temperatures are cool. Um, yeah, so I thought I might as well go ahead and get an early start. But fall crops are nice. Sometimes you uh, you can miss some of the pests that are more prevalent in the summer, you know, like uh, the carrot rust fly. Um, when I, my spring carrots almost always have some of that. Fall carrots, I have hardly any. And you kind of leave them in the ground and they hang out. They don't keep growing and growing and get out of control. So fall fall's a really nice time to grow. But getting the seeds started sometimes can be a challenge. But this year should be a good one. All right. <laughs> so people can give it a shot this year, perhaps for the first time. Actually, we do a a partnership class with Parks and Recreation that is called Fall Gardening in September. So you can check out the program guide for that if you live in Bloomington. Do you have a website you can direct people to? Um, Our website, which it is listed on, is mhcfoodpantry.org. And then can you tell us the city website? Yeah, it's bloomington.in.gov backslash parks. And then in Terre Haute, what resources do you have for folks? 
the um, the primary resource for um, good gardening information is the Purdue Cooperative Extension Service. I don't have that number, but you could Google that and find that re- um, pretty readily. They're very helpful. Um, Ivy Tech Community College has a great horticulture program. Um, they'd be happy to help you out as well. John Rosine and, and, the, and the group down there uh, would be happy to provide you with some good information. Eight five five zero eight one one. We've got oh, I don't know, Bob. About eight minutes left. Yeah. I mean, we can take a couple more callers in that time. We you, can. We could easily. Yeah. One thing I, I definitely want to make sure we talk about: if you've got an overabundance coming from your garden, and you've eaten it all, and you've canned it all, and you still have leftover stuff. You can donate that to a variety of organizations in the community. I talked to Vicki Pierce over at the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. You can literally walk in with stuff from your garden, and she will accept it with open arms. Anything you've got from your garden can go there. What are some other places that accept donated food? Same goes for Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. <laughs> we will be so thrilled. Um, we have a lot of folks coming through our food pantry, and folks are really excited about fresh produce. Um, so we're open these days on Mondays, noon to 7, and then Tuesday through Friday, noon to 6. Um, and you can just come on by anywhere in there. Um, bring us the produce, and we will be so excited. All right. We have a, had a call from Dave who just left us some notes of what he wanted to ask about. Uh, so he says, no one has brought up Ball's Blue Book about canning. You may want to. It's kind of the Bible. Um, you know, they, the ball jar is ubiquitous when it comes to, to canning. Um, and they have written and rewritten the book over the years and, and through the decades. And it's an excellent resource for, for canning. Mm-hmm. And he also asks, uh, does anyone like to make sweet corn flour? Ooh. Mm-hmm. You ever heard about done that? that. that oh, Dave, you stumped us! Oh, goodness, <laughs> no. I'm googling a recipe for that right now. Dave. All right, you <laughs> get go. back to you. All right, we'll we'll be back uh, with that. But first, we're going to go to the phones. Kathy's on the phone. Kathy, hi there. Hey, um, I just wanted to share uh, the greatest way to cook sweet corn easily that my husband stumbled on a couple of years ago. And you just take the corn in the husk. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to husk it. You don't have to pull the tassel out. You don't have to do anything. Put it in a cold oven and turn the oven to 350 and let it heat up with the corn in the oven. And, you know, once it heats up, let it cook for another 15 minutes and then just take it out. And it is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, Kind of roasted. You know how how roasted vegetables are so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, You roast the corn and it really, uh, it really concentrates the sugars. Wow. And it's fabulous. And somehow the the strings um, sort of I don't know, it's like they almost dissolve or something, but they they it, it's really easy to peel at that point and it's it's fabulous. It's the best way to do do oh, wow. it. And after you know, after decades of boiling or steaming or grilling or trying to figure out not that any of those aren't wonderful, but the roasting thing is just just the way to go. It's okay, let, let me make sure. That, this sounds very easy, but let me make sure. So you just put it in the cold oven. Yes. You turn on the heat to 350. You wait yes. and, wait until it's heated up, and then you leave it in for 15 more minutes. Yep. Wow. Yes. I think I can do that. That sounds great. It's not any easier, but it's just fabulous. All right. Well, thank All you right. for that. Thanks for okay, calling, Kathy. Enjoy. Okay. Bye. You know, the most appealing part of that, that what Kathy was just talking about, is that the, the little hairs just sort of dissolve. I can't buy sweet corn because I can't handle the hairs. I can't handle shucking corn. I just can't. So that sounds like a recipe for me. Wow. That's, yeah. I didn't I know that it. about you, Amy. Oh, I hate Jeez. it. <laughs> yeah. We can have one more phone call, right? 855 If you want to chat with us about what you're cooking right now, as Bob said, if you're eating lunch, let us know what you're eating for lunch. Right. Why not? Marsha, I wanted to ask you about the market because it's just grown into such a uh, community treasure over the years. Um, you know, how for those who haven't been, how would you compare it like now to what, what it maybe was a decade ago? Wow. Yeah, it has. It's grown a lot. The The variety of food available at the market has really changed. Um, I would say that's been, I'm pretty sure it's been within the last decade when we've expanded to allow meat and dairy products. Um, and then the prepared food vending area is another you know, big area of the market now. And one of the things I love about the prepared food vending area is that most of the vendors there 
are using local products in their food. So it's really carrying forward the mission of the market. But, um, yeah, numbers of customers. And really, I've noticed a change in like the attitudes of customers, I think, just the level of appreciation mm-hmm. for the farmers, the desire to really focus on eating local food. I mean, it used to be like, oh, great, you know, I'll, I'll get something at market. But now it's like, let me see what all I can get at market to make my menus for the whole week, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's really, uh, it's really an fun and an honor to get to work with the market. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of entertainment there, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, we have music every week and um, lots of special events. It's been real fun doing things like the tomato tasting and salsa contest. And people should come down in November. We've expanded the season, too. We go through the end of November now. And uh, we have a soup tasting every year. And that's a great time to get some recipes. In like 30 seconds or less, Lori, can you give us a sneak peek at what the foodie community is like in Terre Haute? Um, it, growing, burgeoning, and soon to have a cooperative market. You know, those in Bloomington and uh, have enjoyed having a cooperative market for a number of years, and we're um, we've just passed a 600 member threshold that gives us the confidence and the numbers to seek the financing and and go forward with the um, development of our own co-op market in Terre Haute. We hope to uh, be part of a burgeoning um, downtown renaissance and bring uh, local foods into the downtown area to augment what's already going on with a really nice farmer's market there. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank uh, our guests today. It's been great. We, I, I know I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Marsha Veldman from Bloomington Farmer's Market, Stephanie Solomon from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, Lori Heber from Terra Foods, and, of course, Andy Corrigan from Earth Eats. It's Thanks, been fun, Andy. Bob. It's always fun. Loved thank it. you. All right. And I want to thank uh, our producers, Gretchen Frazier and Emily Wright, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net and from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.